we're going at the internal conflict that we all face. The, the difference between who I really am and who I want people to think that I am. Who I truly am inside and, and who I want to trick people into believing that I am. And so we're using this kind of illustration, this analogy of the selfie to do this, this cultural phenomenon. I saw this week, and this is actually 2014 statistics, so it's probably much more than that by now. But I saw this week that every day there are one million selfies posted. One million selfies posted. That's a lot of us, isn't it? But not only are there one million selfies posted, this is what's crazy. This is according to Google. And when I say according to Google, I don't mean like I Googled it. Like Google the company put out some research. Uh, according to Google, there are 93 million selfies taken every day. 93 million taken, 1 million posted. Why? Because you got to pick out the right one, right? So we're putting out an image that isn't really... Real. We're finding the right angle. We're finding the right lighting, the right filter, the right place to put out something that isn't really, truly us. Because there's a core issue in us that, that I'm not really who I want to be. I'm not really what I want to be. And so because of that, I want to deceive people into thinking that, that that future me, that that ideal me is who I really am. And all of us have that core struggle. And so what we're going to do over the next five weeks is we're going to take one individual in Scripture, a man named Jacob, and look at him and, and kind of the cast of characters around him, his family and, and those close to him. And we're going to look at his struggle because Jacob really dealt with this. Jacob, I think more than anybody else in Scripture, dealt with some identity issues. He dealt with the struggle to try and be someone who he wasn't. So if you have your Bible, and I encourage you to bring it the next five weeks. I encourage you to bring a notepad the next five weeks. I'm fired up for this series. I think God is going to speak to you, uh, and I believe that God's going to speak the loudest to those of us who are the most eager, to those of us who are the most expectant of him to speak. So I encourage you to lean in, take notes, and to allow God to speak to you today. But we're going to start in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32, we see a, a unique scene in Jacob's life. And it says, it says, that night Jacob got up and he took his two wives. We'll get to that in another series. Um, his two female servants. Somebody's like, baby, this is a church for us. We, we found home. We'll get to that. His two female servants, his two wives, his 11 sons. So he had just had Joseph, the 11th son. They haven't had Benjamin yet. And crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. You know, we talked a little while ago about how important it is to, to partner with somebody, to pray the prayer of agreement, to believe God together, and we believe that. And we're launching our city groups this week. Uh, we've got information out at the Connection Center. If you haven't picked one out yet, I encourage you to find one. We've got great groups for you to do some life with some people. But don't miss out on this. Sometimes the deepest work God's going to do with you is not with other people. Sometimes the greatest things God's going to do in your life, the times where God really deals with your identity, the time where God really digs inside of you is when you're left alone. And, and so we need both. We need people to do life with. We need people to come alongside us, to pray with us, to believe with us, people that we can confide in, people that we can, can go to for advice. We absolutely need that, but we also need some time where it's just us and him. And so God takes some time alone with Jacob here in verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, it doesn't tell us in the text 
who this man is. We, we get a hint that he's an angel, and actually most Bible scholars believe that this was actually Jesus himself. That this was a pre-incarnate Christ who came uh, to, to visit and to wrestle with Jacob. And, and we see that kind of fleshed out in some other scriptures that talk about this event. Uh, but regardless, God's messenger comes and he wrestles with Jacob until daybreak. So basically all night long, Jacob pulls an all-nighter wrestling with God. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. The, the title of today's message isn't going to make sense until we get to the end of the message. You're going to have to accept it in faith. Uh, we're going to get there, I promise. But the title of today's message as we kick this off uh, is going to be Just Call Me Jacob. Just call me Jacob. It'll make sense eventually. Um, we, we are calling this death to selfie as we struggle with the, this internal conflict, this internal self that, that may be one person and this outer self is someone else. And hopefully in the process, what we can do is let go uh, of who we try to project ourselves as, let go of this image, this slickness, this, the, this thing that we create and actually deal with who we really are. Um, and, and you'll see as we go, this will begin to make some sense. Um, we could have used so many people to illustrate this. There's so many complicated people in Scripture. Jacob we use because he's complicated, but there, there's many. Noah was complicated. Noah was used by God to build an ark, but he also got wasted one night and, and slept naked in front of his children, and there were some pretty harsh consequences that came on his family because of that. We, we could have used Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. Abraham was, was a great man. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, but he also was a liar. He was a serial liar. In multiple situations in his life, we saw him lie. Uh, we could fast forward to the New Testament and use Peter. Peter, the, this great man of God who preached on the day of Pentecost, but he also cut a guy's off an ear off in anger. Uh, this guy who denied Jesus three times, we could have used Paul, this man who was used by God to, to win many thousands, untold thousands to Jesus. But before that, he was a killer, a persecutor of Christians. See, there's so many complicated people in Scripture. And what I want you to see is that you are in good company when you're complicated. Don't ever buy into the lie that God only uses perfect people for his purpose. You know you. Everybody else may not know you. They might not know the real struggle you have. But deep down inside, you do. And so many times, the enemy is going to come, and he's going to point to that struggle. He's going to point to that hypocrisy. He's going to point to your junk and say, that's why God can't use you. And he's wrong. He's wrong. Don't listen to it. Don't believe him. There are so many complicated people in Scripture. And the truth is, you're complicated. I'm complicated. Your wife is complicated. Your husband is complicated. Your boss is complicated. Your mother-in-law is complicated. We're complicated, amen? amen? Things can be difficult to understand sometimes, and this is why, because there's a, there's a conflict, there's a struggle between who we really are and who we try to be. In Genesis chapter 32, the passage we just read, Jacob's engaged in a wrestling match at night. He's not exactly sure who he's wrestling with. He doesn't know in this moment that this may actually be God. 
but he's tenacious about it. I point that out because the first time that we see Jacob in Scripture, we're going to go backwards for a moment. The first time we ever see Jacob, before he's ever even born, he's engaged in a wrestling match. Genesis 25, starting at verse 21. Isaac, this is Jacob's father, the son of Abraham. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. Sometimes we got to be careful, careful what we pray for because we might actually get the answer. So Rebecca's hurting. She, she's barren. She wants a kid so badly. God bless me with a child. Isaac prays for her and God answers the prayer. And then just look at the next verse. 22, the babies jostled each other within her. She's pregnant not just with a child, but God's the God of abundance. He gives her more than enough. He gives her two kids. But then she goes on and says something that every mother has said at some point in her motherhood. She says, why is this happening to me? Why are my babies fighting in me? God, give me a kid, but don't give me that kid, right? You've all been in that moment. God, I wanted a child, but why did it have to be this child? It's not what I was thought I was getting myself into. That'd be a great Mother's Day text. Um, so she went to inquire of the Lord. In other words, she didn't go to all of her friends. She, she didn't go to social media. She didn't take it to, to everybody around her. She didn't go to her messed up, jacked up, dysfunctional family. See, sometimes I think that we take our problems to everybody who can't fix them. But we forget to take our problems to the one who actually can. And so Rebecca skipped all that nonsense. She said, I've been waiting too long for this. I'm too old to waste any more time. I'm going straight to the one who can help me. And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord answered her. He said, there are two nations in your womb. In other words, this is bigger than anything you can imagine right now. And these two peoples from within you, they will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they called him Esau. I used to think this was nuts. And then we had a child and he was hairy on his back and on his shoulders. And I was like, what? In the world, how did this even happen? Um, but it does, and he actually ended up losing most of that hair. He had sideburns on his board, and it was crazy. Uh, so th this does happen. The Bible is true, I'm telling you. Verse 26, after this, the brother came out, his hand grasping Esau's heel. heel. So he was named Jacob. Jacob means, literally in the Hebrew, it means heel grabber, one who grasps at the heel, but, but in the Hebrew language, heel grabber doesn't just mean heel grabber, it actually means deceiver. So the best way I can illustrate this for you is like if, if I were to call, I don't know, Pastor, I'm not going to pick on you, I'll, Cody, I picked on Bo a lot last week, I'll, Cody, if I, if I told you that Cody was a snake, what, what would I be saying? Am I saying that he's a, a lizard who slinks around with, with scales? No, I'm, I'm saying he's slick, he's deceptive, that he's not somebody that you can trust. Now, that's not who Cody is at all. Uh, but, but if I were to say that about someone, you would know, okay, what a snake is, but you'd know that I'm not really calling him a snake, I'm calling him a deceiver. That's how it was in the Hebrew language. Just a heel grabber, he was literally grasping at the heel, but a heel grabber meant somebody who, who was trying to get one over on you. He was a con man, he was deceptive. And so Jacob is named this at birth because of an incident that's happening before he ever tastes oxygen. He grabs his brother's heel. And that name, that reputation follows him for decades. 
You know, sometimes there are some things in us that, that are there even before birth that we're going to have to deal with for the long time. And, and a lot of times we may think, well, God, I was just born this way. But the Bible doesn't teach us that we're born perfect. In fact, the Bible teaches us the opposite. It teaches us that we're born sinners. And because we're born sinners, we've got to go to him. We've got to allow him to fix us. And so Jacob was born jacked up from day one. And it's going to take a long time before he allows God to come in and begin to breathe a new life and a new identity into him. Here's why this is so significant, that he was grasping at his brother's heel. In this day and age, in this culture, being the firstborn was more than just bragging rights. Being the firstborn had actual privileges and benefits. There were two specific things that were given to the firstborn. There was a birthright. The birthright meant that, that no matter how many kids that you had, in fact, they did this just for the sons. So no matter how many sons you had, you could have seven sons, and when you, when you went to die, you would divide that inheritance up between the seven kids, but the firstborn would get what they called a double portion. So in other words, I didn't divide, you wouldn't divide your inheritance into sevens, you divide it into eights, and the firstborn would get two eights. So we got twice as much as all of the other kids. So, so there was a financial motivation to be first. There was also a blessing that was transferred. It, it was a blessing that was a prayer that was spoken, believing God for great things, but it was also the transferring of authority. It was a rite of passage. I'm no longer the patriarch. I'm no longer the head of our extended family. Now you are the head of the extended family. It was very significant. And so before Jacob can even consciously understand this, he has an instinctive understanding that I need to be first has an instinctive understanding that I need to get ahead of you, Esau. If I can just be out there five seconds before you, I'm going to get more than you will. And it's a me first mentality that Jacob had. And the truth is we all have a me first mentality. We're trying to teach our son, our son's 16 months. Uh, we're trying to teach him some words right now. He's learned a couple on his own, but we're trying to teach him some things. So we're trying to teach him mama. We're trying to teach him daddy. Uh, we're trying to teach him amen. I pray with him every night before we put him to bed. And I'm like, amen. And I'm like, say amen. Say amen. And he'll be like, amen. Like, you know, like it's not really there, but we're getting there. We're working on it. He's gets, he gets the concept. Uh, so, so we're trying to teach him some things. You know one thing we didn't have to teach him? No. <laughs> he got that one on his own, and he got it quick, and he's good at it. He knows how to say no. We're working on yes. He'll say that sometimes, but he knows how to say no. Judy, you hungry? No. Judy, you ready for bed? No. Judy, you need a diaper change? No. Like, doesn't matter what it is. He knows to say no. Why? Because we all have this innate me first mentality. We all have this desire to, to put ourselves above others. And I'm not knocking my kid. I love my kid with all that I am. He's the best. But he's still got a selfish nature. He's still got a sin nature. If you don't believe in original sin, if you don't believe that we're all born sinners, what that tells me is you haven't had a kid. And if, and if you don't believe in Satan, what that tells me is you've never worked with the middle schooler. Like, like, I love my middle schoolers. I'm just saying high schoolers are better. That's all I'm saying. They grow, they get, they learn, they develop. But, but we all have this me first mentalities. But my, my dad, used to take me to, to a ball game every once in a while. A couple times a year, we'd go to a Mariners game. We, I grew up in Seattle, Washington. And, and we'd go to a Mariners game. I'd, I'd guilt trip him into it. I'm, I'd talk him into it. My dad wasn't a baseball fan. He liked football, but he didn't like baseball. So, so I, I'd beg him to take me to the game, and we'd go. But you know what we'd always do? We'd leave at the end of the eighth inning. Why do we leave at the end of the eighth inning? 
Had to be traffic. Why? Me first. I don't want to be behind all these other people. I got to be ahead of them. My dad's an awesome dude. I'm very blessed with a dad who loves me, who's in my life, who's been a godly example for me. But we've all got a me first mentality, don't we? It rears its ugly head in all kind of ways. Man, put one remote on a couch with two people. <laughs> me first. Right? This the struggle is real. We all have that struggle. So here's the question. How can you even begin to live a God-first life when you live in a me-first world? How can I live a life that puts God first when deep inside of me is a nature that is pushing me to honor myself first? It's the struggle that we're going to deal with in this series. Our instincts all lean to me first. For Jacob, it was pretty hard when you were born grabbing at the heel. When you were born trying to be first, it was pretty hard to learn to not put himself first. It's going to take him years, decades, almost an entire lifetime to get to that point. But Jesus says something crazy in Matthew 19.30 that I want to encourage you with today. If you've got that me first struggle just like I do. He says this, he says, but many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. In other words, it's not the people who get ahead who actually are ahead. It's not the one who steps on somebody else to get there. It's not the one who pushes somebody else down. They might look like they're in the lead. Their bank account might be bigger. Their relationship might look better. There might be some things from the outside that say, man, that person's ahead. But Jesus says the last will be first, but the first will be last. And can I tell you, when Jesus says something, it's always going to be true. It's always going to be true. So he says, here's how it works. The last shall be first. Now, this doesn't work. This doesn't compute in our brains. This is revolutionary. It's paradoxical. It doesn't make sense. We're, we're like, no, Jesus. Uh, that's, that's, that may sound nice, but what planet are you from? He's like, I'm from heaven. I'm not from a planet. Uh, and, and we're like, but didn't you watch Talladega Nights? Didn't, didn't you see Ricky Bobby's dad peeling out? What did he say? He said, if you're not first, you're last. And Jesus says, Will Ferrell, I loved you an elf. But you're wrong in Talladega Nights. The first is going to be last. See, if you haven't found this out yet, you will. But you spend your whole life grabbing at the heel. You spend your whole life deceiving. You spend your whole life trying to get ahead. If your life is all about you, if it's all about your feelings, if it's all about boosting your ego, here's the truth. Your life is miserable. It's miserable. It's lonely. It's empty. You never get where you're trying to be ultimately in the end. It doesn't even work. It's a waste of all that you've been given. Luke 9.25, Jesus asked this question. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet to forfeit their very self? What good is it, Jacob, if you grab after stuff, if you grab after status, if you grab after the blessing, if you grab after the birthright, if you grab after security, only to find out it's left you behind, only to lose yourself in the process? What good is it 
I want to show you one more scene from Jacob's life. We're kind of jumping all around his life today. We're going to be a little more focused as we go. But as we lay the foundation for this, I want, I want to show you a third scene just to, to give you an understanding uh, of what's going on. We, we've seen Jake the snake, Jake the deceiver. Uh, we've seen baby Jake, little Jakey Poo. Uh, now now we've got to see one, one more season, one more moment in Jake's life. Um, before we get there, I want to explain just a little bit. Esau was rough. Esau was tough. His older brother was the man's man. Jacob, it says at one time in scripture that Jacob stayed among the tents. In other words, he was the mama's boy. He hung out with mom. The dad and the men were out doing manly stuff, and Jacob's watching reruns of The Bachelor with mom, right? Like, that's just kind of how he was. His, his skin was smooth. He was clean. He was pretty. He, he had that protected life. He was soft, so we see the discrepancies in these boys from an early age, and Esau is Isaac's favorite. Isaac favors the, the man's man. He loves his oldest son. And Rebecca remembers the promise of God that the younger will serve the older. So she loves Jacob. They've got the bond. They've got the connection. And so there's even a struggle between the parents over who is going to be the son who receives the future, the inheritance, who's going to be the one that is chosen in our family. Many years later, after Jacob steals Esau's birthright, he doesn't actually steal it. He tricks him. He cons him into giving up the birthright, double portion. Many years after that, we're going to see a scene in Jacob's life where he goes out, and now he says, now I need the blessing. I'm not happy to just have the extra money. I'm not happy to just have the inheritance. I'm not happy for all that. I need the blessing. I need dad to recognize that it's that I'm the one. I need him to pray over me. I need him to give me the blessing. And so he comes up with the plan. In fact, he didn't actually come up with the plan. Mom did. We'll get to that in a second. But, but I want you to see this. The philosopher C.S. Lewis said this. He said, we don't actually take pride in the possession itself, but in having more of it than someone else. See, Jacob didn't just need an inheritance. Dad was rich. He was loaded. Even not having the double portion, Jacob was going to be fine. He was going to be taken care of, but he had to get the double portion because we're not happy in the possession itself. We're only happy when we've got more of it than someone else. We're not happy just to be thin. We've got to be thinner than that other person, right? We're not happy just to be rich. We've got to be richer than somebody else. We're not happy just to raise smart kids. Our kids have to be smarter than everybody else's kid. And when we find out that other kid talked faster or peed faster or whatever, man, we got a problem because there's that competitive nature. My kid's got to be smarter, faster, better. We've always looking for an Ur. Now, the Bible says that, that Abraham was called out of Ur, a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, called to the promised land. He was called out of Ur. And I wonder if all of us aren't still in some way internally living in the land of Ur. Richer, better. Bigger, smaller, thinner, buffer, whatever it is, we're always looking for er. The problem with chasing after er is there's always somebody who's er-er, right? There's <laughs> always somebody who's got a little better er than my er, and so I always got to get a little more er to beat their er. And we struggle to get that place. So Isaac, Jacob, and Esau's father at this point is, is so old that he cannot see. He's basically blind. And he knows he needs to transfer the blessing because he senses that his life is coming to an end. It's time to install Esau as, as the head of the household. He's going to be the new leader in our family. And so he tells Esau, he says, I'm, I'm going to give you the blessing, but before I do, I'm hungry. 
and you can hunt. That's what you do. So I need you to go out and kill me some tasty game and bring back and make me a meal. And daddy daddy and son, we're going to have a moment together. We're going to eat. Then I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to transfer the blessing. So, So Esau sets out to go hunt, but he doesn't know mom is eavesdropping on the conversation. Rebecca, here's what's said, and she calls Jacob, and she says, you know you need to get the blessing. I've got a way for you to do it. Your brother's out hunting right now. Well, I need you to go and get some of his garments. I'm going to give you some. You're going to put those on, and they're gonna, the animal hair is going to make you feel like him. Dad can't see. So you're going to feel like him. He's going to touch you, and he's going to feel that hair and, and, and that, that thick fur that Esau has, and he's going to think that you're him, and I'll bake the meal. I've got some meat. I've got some stuff in the house. I'll make some, a meal for him. And you're going to go in and you're going to tell him that you're Esau. And, and he's not going to know the difference. And he's going to pray over you and give you the blessing. Can, can I just say this? Parents, be so careful about what you have your kids put on that isn't really them. This mother is pushing her son to be somebody that he's not. And he's going to bring a terrible curse on him. He's going to spend 21 years of his life on the run because of this decision that he makes. Now, he was a grown man, and it was his responsibility. He didn't have to do it. He's the one who's going to pay the price for it. But we've got to be careful what, what we put on our kids. We've got to be careful what we ask our kids to do, who we try to get them to pretend that the, they are. And we need to also be very careful what we let somebody else put on us. So it's Genesis chapter 27. It says, Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house. She put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give your blessing, may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Listen to Jacob's response. The Lord your God gave me success. Just because we say something that sounds spiritual doesn't mean it's always spiritual. He's putting up a front. He's lying to his father, but not only is he lying to his father, he's invoking God into the conversation. Now he's putting it on God. For what's happening, verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Isaac's suspicious. Something doesn't seem right. And you can get so good at trying to be somebody else that even the people closest to you eventually don't even know the difference. And even though Isaac was suspicious at first, he's going to be tricked. He's going to fall for it because he got so good at deception. Verse 22, Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. What they didn't count on, what Rebecca didn't think of, what Jacob didn't think of was Esau is about to come back. He's been out hunting. He's on his way back and he's been out hunting, which means he's got weapons on him. Esau was bigger than Jacob. He was stronger than Jacob. He was manlier than Jacob. And so when Esau finds out that his brother has stolen his blessing, that he's received the blessing, this is one of those things in their culture, it could only be transferred once. Once this prayer had been given, once this person had been installed as the head of the household, there's no going back. Once he realized that Jacob had the blessing, Esau went into a rage and he said, I'm going to kill him. And everybody took it seriously. So Rebecca tells Jacob, you got to go on the run. And so Jacob leaves and he flees north. He goes to, to his uncle Laban's uh, family, and, and he's going to live there for 21 years. For 21 years, he's not going to lay eyes on his brother. During that 21 years, his father's going to die. 
And he's so scared he can't even come back for his dad's funeral. He can't even come back to say goodbye to the man who raised him. This is how destructive the deception was in Jacob's life. I want to share with you the, the focal point of this series. If you're taking notes today, I don't have a, just a whole ton of stuff for you to write down other than what God may speak to you a, as I speak. But I do want you to write this down as you're taking notes. And the whole series is going to revolve on this key point. God cannot bless who you pretend to be. God cannot bless who you pretend to be. You see, even though Isaac prayed to God, bless my son, install him as the leader, the blessing actually was a curse. Jacob would have been so much better off if he never received that blessing because God can't bless who you pretend to be. God can only bless who you really are. God cannot bless us in our deception. He cannot bless us in our front. He can't bless the person that we present. God cannot anoint your avatar, right? God can't save your selfie, right? All, all he can do is he can bless the true you. I don't know about you, but, but many times there, there's multiple me's. There's, there's the me that I want to be. There, there's the me that I present to people. There's the me that others see. And, and sometimes there's a different me that's actually true. I got to wrestle with that, and I got to deal with that, and I got to own up to that and allow God to, to enable me to be authentic. One of our core values here at City Church is authenticity. We believe that God has called us to authenticity. And can I say that sometimes Christians are the fakest people there are? Because we've bought into this deception that being a Christian means we need to have it all together. And yet that's nowhere in Scripture. None of them had it all together. None of them had it right. But they were honest about who they were. And when they were honest about their struggle, when they were real with their situation, that's when God could come in. See, because the truth is it's not about me. It's about the Spirit living in me, empowering me, living through me. And so I don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it all together. Can I just take that off of you today? You don't have to come to City Church and be the perfect Christian. What you do have to do is be willing to own up to who you really are and deal with it. Ask God to help it. God, help me to get better. Help me be more like Jesus. Live through me. That's what we're asking of you. We're not asking you to live this fake life. We're not asking you to polish up and get it all together, to clean yourself up so you can come into God's presence. None of us can do that. But he'll clean us up if we're right. It'll only happen if we're real about who we are. We develop all these costumes, we wear all these other clothes and all these masks, and we imitate what we see from somebody else, and, and we talk the talk, and we walk the walk, and we get all the right brands, and we think that somehow it's going to make things better, but the truth is, what good is it to gain everything and lose our soul? What good is it? We got young ladies in our culture, probably some in this church, dressing a certain way to get someone's attention to get some acceptance, to get some love from somebody. You're putting something out there that's not really you. You're trying to be somebody that you're not, and you're doing it so that somebody will notice you. What good is their acceptance if they're not even accepting who you are? What good is their love if they're not loving who you truly are? What good is that relationship if you've got to fake your way into being in it? See, because you may be able to fake your boyfriend, you may be able to fake your parents, but you can't fake yourself. It's empty because you know inside, this isn't me. You can't deceive God either. He knows that. I, I was a young man born with a, with a compassionate heart, with a tender heart. 
And when I got to middle school and started looking around, and we lived in the inner city, and there was all these people around, and they were so cool, and they were so hard, and I decided that I needed to be hard. I needed to be like them. So I started dressing a different way, and I started cutting off that part of me that, that loved people and cared about people so I could project this image that I was hard to and, and started wearing a certain color so I could hang out with a certain group of people. Can I tell you what a waste of time that that was? Can I tell you what a destructive end that it got me to? Can I tell you what a terrible situation I got in when I got jumped and I got my face smashed in by a group of people wearing a different color? It was pointless. It was a waste of time. It dishonored who God had made me to be. So many of us are trying to be somebody we're not. And I've been there. I've been there. But God's blessing isn't on somebody else. God's blessing is on you being you and who he created and called you to be. I've got to hurry. I know we're running out of time. I want to make sure that we cover this. Going back to Genesis 32, back to the wrestling match. I want to bring this home. What's happening here is Jacob's going back to face Esau. It's 21 years later, 21 years on the run, 21 years out of his family's house, 21 years away from everybody he knows, everybody he loves. And some good things have happened in Jacob's life on the run. He's been accepted into his uncle's house, and he was able to, to get married and get married again. He's able to have some kids. He, he's got some things going for him at this point. But he knows that all the success, all the wealth, all the stuff that I have means nothing because there's an unresolved situation back home. So after 21 years, he works up the nerve to go back and face his brother. Maybe he'll forgive me. Maybe we can be reconciled. Maybe we can be a family again. He puts his life and his family on the line to go face Esau. He knows we could all be wiped out. And as he's getting ready to do this, before he, he can go get restoration with man, God says, you got to be reconciled to yourself. I'm, i got to introduce you to Jacob. You need to see who you really are before you can go and, and deal with your brother. And so this heel grasper, this guy who's been grabbing at things his whole life, all of a sudden in the dark is grabbed by something. That's what happens when grace gets a hold of us, isn't it? And you're grabbed by something that won't let go. And you don't deserve it. You may not have seen it coming, but when grace gets a hold of you, Everything's going to change. Genesis 32, verse 26. The man says, let me go for its daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You can safely assume that, that you've arrived at being yourself. When you will not let go of God, no matter how inconvenient it is. Think about this. They've been resting all night. What are some implications of that? It means they haven't eaten anything. It means they ain't been to the bathroom. Right, there's some pressure going on here. Man, I could just let you go. We can pick this conversation up in a minute. Like, uh, I'll be right around behind a tree and we'll be back. But, but all this internal conflict in Jacob, he's suppressing it. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. When you won't let go of God, when you won't let go of what he's doing in your life, no matter how inconvenient it is, no matter how uncomfortable it is, that's when you've arrived at a place where God can really do something in your life. Sometimes you just got to decide, I'm not letting go. So the man asked him, what is your name? They've been wrestling all night, and they haven't had an introduction yet. What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Find time for the introduction. But Jacob's heard this question before. It was worded a little differently. But dad asked, who are you? Who is this coming in here? And 21 years earlier, Jacob gave the wrong answer. 21 years earlier, Jacob said, I want to be blessed, so I'm Esau. 
And now fast forward 21 years, Jacob's at a point in his life where he's realized the emptiness of the deception. He's realized the emptiness of the me first. He's realized the emptiness of grasping at something that he wasn't. And he says, look, I'm Jacob. I know it means deceiver. I know that's not really something to be proud of. I know I've been a fugitive. I've been on the run. But this is who I am. And it's in this moment that everything changes in Jacob's life. It's in this moment that God is able to come in and do something incredible. See, 21 years ago, Jacob got blessed as Esau, but now Jacob's ready to get blessed for himself. Verse 27, the man asked, what's your name, Jacob? He answered, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. I need you to get this. This is so powerful. As soon as Jacob owned up to his sinful, dishonest, ugly, nasty identity, as soon as he owned up to who he really was, God gave him a new one. As soon as he was able to say, I'm a sinner, I'm deceptive, I'm a liar, I'm a schemer, I'm a heel grabber. As soon as he was able to say, this is who I really am, it was in that moment that God's able to come in and say, no, that's not who you are anymore. You see, we got to get to a place where we can own up to who we truly are before God. And at that point, instead of justifying our junk, instead of making excuses for it, instead of blaming it on the generation before us, instead of saying it was mom's fault or it was dad's fault or it was the life that I grew up in or we just didn't have enough money or whatever excuse we can come up with, instead of putting up that facade when we lower that and say, no, this is who I really am and this is why I've screwed up my life so bad because of my junk, because of my issues, this is me, God, where we can own that before him, then God can come in and say, not anymore. Not anymore. I got a new identity for you. You see, Jacob meant deceiver, but Israel means triumphant of God. It's got a few different definitions, but that's one of it. He went from being the heel grabber to being triumphant. He went from being the person who was on the run to being the one that God said, you're mine. I can use you. Aren't you glad God gives you a new identity? See, when we own up, when we repent, when we come to him and give us Give him our life and all of the junk that we are. He says, I'm not calling you you anymore. I'm not judging you by what you've done. Now I'm judging you by what Jesus has done. I'm judging you by who Jesus is. I'm going to call you righteous. I'm going to call you holy. You may feel like a sinner, but I'm going to call you a saint. You may feel like you've got some junk, but I'm going to call you blessed. I'm going to call you adopted. I'm going to call you accepted. I'm going to call you mine. He gives us a new name. He calls us something different. Jacob is who he was. Israel is who he was with Christ in him, with God in him, with the Holy Spirit in him. But you know what's crazy is that if you read the Bible, you'd expect that from this point forward, he would no longer be Jacob, he'd be Israel. That's how it was. God changed a lot of people's names in Scripture. So with Abram, became Abraham. Once he was Abraham, he was Abraham from that point forward. The Bible doesn't refer to him as Abram, I don't think at all, certainly not commonly. Uh, Peter, he was Simon, he becomes Peter. Once he's Peter, he's Peter. Every once in a while, he's called Simon Peter to distinguish him, but, but he's Peter. That's his identity from that point forward. Paul, he was Saul. Once he became Paul, once God gives him a new name, once he's saved, now he's Paul from that point forward. But with Jacob, it doesn't work that way. With Jacob, if you read the rest of the story, and we will over the next four weeks, and you need to be here for it, it's going to touch you, it's going to encourage you. The Bible alternates. Sometimes he's Israel, and sometimes he's Jacob. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Well, I think it's because change isn't always instantaneous. See, God can call me Israel, but sometimes I'm still Jacob. 
See, sometimes I can still be the deceiver. Just because God gives me a new identity doesn't mean I don't still have some old junk. Doesn't mean I don't have some, some old issues, some old habits, some old stuff. And so Jacob alternates. Sometimes he's Jacob the deceiver, and sometimes he's Israel the triumphant one. Sometimes the Bible sees him in, in both of those lights. And, and so there's one more thing I have to show you, and we're almost there, I promise. But you got to see this. It's going to encourage you so much. Many years later, 500 years later, God shows up. And he speaks through a burning bush to one of Jacob's descendants, a man named Moses. And in Exodus chapter 3, as he shows up in this burning bush, Moses asked the same question that Jacob did. He's, he, he asked him, who are you? Jacob said, who, who are you? And the guy didn't give him an answer. The angel wouldn't give him an answer. Why? Because he wasn't there to show him who God was. Jacob had already met God. He was there to show him who he was. He had to get a new identity for himself. And there's people in this room over the next four weeks, over the rest of this series, God's going to give you some new identity. You've already met God. You may have met God years ago. God's in your life, but, but you don't know you. And so you're going to come to face-to-face with who you really are and then who God has created you to be. That's what I believe God wants to do in this series. But Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, it says, Moses said to God, Some, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? Now, what shall I tell them? You're going to send me out there and I don't even know what to call you. Who are you? What's your name? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Yahweh. It's the name of God's personal name means I am. I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. But then let's look at verse 15. This, this will blow your mind when you get a hold of this. And I'm so, this is my last verse of the day. Watch this. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Now, if you were God, wouldn't the next line be the God of Israel? The God of the triumphant one. Wouldn't the next line be the, man, he's the one that's on, that I chose. He's the one that serves me. He's the one that I'm with. He's the one I want to be identified with. But God doesn't do that. God says the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He didn't say, I just want you to see that I'm with you when you're, you're the good you. I'm with you when, when you've got it together. I'm with you when you're the triumphant one. He says, I'm the God of Israel, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I'm the God of your bad side. I'm the God of you when you're struggling. I'm not just the God of your victory. I'm the God in your defeat. I'm the God when you don't have it together. I'm the God when you're still dealing with the sin. I'm the God when you're still in bondage. I'm still there with you, even when you're Jacob, not just when you're Israel. Doesn't that encourage you today? He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And praise God, he's the God of Jacob. Because I got some Jacob in me still. I got some junk. I got some stuff that hasn't been worked out. And I'm so glad that he is the God of Jacob. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.